Hey everyone, this is the Working Triathlete Podcast, and this is a special episode brought to you by one of our webinars that we had with our athletes. This webinar, we discussed all things in depth about the off season and what athletes need to be considering as they approach the season ahead. Here we go. So welcome to our off season focused webinar where we are going to talk about how to nail your, your off season. We'll go over the principles governing off-season training and um, get into the nitty-gritty. Alex is on the uh, the webinar here, our uh, resident nutrition and recovery coach, so she can talk a little bit about nutrition um, and things like that. But uh, basically, what we want to to cover is we want to go over and convey the fact that the off season is not the time to just not train. Um, there are certain focuses during the off season that you should consider. And we kind of want to go over those and, and chat about, um, you know, the rationale governing off season training. We, we did a pretty extensive deep dive actually into the science. So the exercise science behind uh, sort of the transition period and the off season and, there's a there are a decent number of studies that kind of explore the, you know the minimum effective maintenance dose you know when it comes to working out like how little can you actually work out while still retaining gains during this busy time if you're a uh, working professional who uh, who has kids and and is dealing with a lot of a lot of uh, stressors um, and so so we'll we'll talk about the science behind it as well. But, you know, to, to start out, I think that it's kind of good to think about how d- different approaches to off-season training. Um, so th- there are a few different ones. And, you know, number one is just training during the off-season. And when I talk about the off-season, I'm really talking about, you know, the, whenever there's a big gap in between races. So how do you train to maintain uh your fitness because you can't just train at a high level year round because the body experiences burnout. Um, so you need to lighten the load for a few weeks and then we start ramping up again. And, you know, the truth is the off season is an opportunity to, uh, gain fitness or work on weaknesses, um, or have fun with, with training so that you, enter the next official macro cycle sort of rejuvenated. But, you know, the obvious approach is, is executing a, a balanced plan, continuing to foster fitness in both, uh, in, in both, sw- you know, the, the main triathlon disciplines, swim, bike, run, and also strength. So um, one approach is a balanced plan. The other approach is doing sort of a discipline specific block where we pick one of the disciplines, maybe it's your weakest, or maybe there's it's the one with the most room for, for growth. And we do a discipline specific block. A lot of athletes are doing swim blocks, especially those who, uh, you know, who are adult learned swimmers, uh, et cetera. Um, but I don't know if, if Derek, did you want to elaborate on, on some other approaches for, or, or anybody? On yeah, I guess I'll start with the, the, uh, block training, you know, so if we're focusing on one discipline at a time, 
Um, obviously, this is an opportunity to work on your weaknesses and build the volume in those areas safely. But also, you know, and we'll get down to this a little bit later, but working on technique in these areas. So if you're spending more time swimming, for example, or running, for example, and this gives you the opportunity to really dive in, do some drills, focus on technique um, and build the volume there. And if someone is doing like a block, let's say they're doing a swim specific block and you're swimming seven days a week and, and you have a limited amount of time, um, it is good to still incorporate the bike and the run as well. And it, depending on the athlete's av- availability, if they're swimming, you know, seven days a week, I always recommend at least trying to get two bikes and two runs in as well, just to balance it out. But obviously that's going to be different for each athlete, depending on their total volume and what they can manage. Yes. So the the starting point really is, is identifying sort of where you are in your triathlon journey. And, And if you have massive goals. Like if you're looking to, to turn pro or reach a new level of fitness, the off season, you have to take it, take it seriously. And, um, part of that is continuing to do, like Derek said, all all the disciplines. The the issue is that, you know, if you neglect training for more than two weeks, you lose a substantial amount of fitness, you know, taking more than two weeks off is going to set you back. I know that. So Certainly burnout is a consideration and everybody needs to, you know, maintain sort of a healthy orientation towards triathlon. But one thing that we want to get across here is the off season is not the time to do nothing. And just just to quantify, you know, some of this, there are studies on, on how, uh, you know, different athletes maybe treat the off season and what they do during the off season, how it impacts future sort of macro cycles that they do or future uh, seasons. And, you know, when we, when we look at it, we know that if you take one week off, there isn't a a market decrease in VO2 max. Uh, If you take two weeks off, you know, after about the 10 day mark, you know, it's pretty measurable each day and you might lose 15% of your aerobic capacity after two weeks. And then you take another week off, you're going to lose a little bit more and other adaptations are going to start to, uh, go away. So we, we think about capillary density. That's when we start seeing like the infrastructure starts, starts changing. And if you take four weeks off completely, um, it is, you know, you lose a lot of fitness. Now, now you still re- maintain most of that infrastructure, like the capillary density, and you can get back into the swing of things quickly, but you're not going to be in as good a position in the next season than, than you would be if you actually worked out in the off season. So just to go over some of the sort of these interesting studies. Uh, so, so the, the one study that specifically looked at cyclists and so their season ended and they, uh, everybody took an eight week transition. So, so they took a couple weeks off, then they did an eight week sort of transition training period. So eight weeks where one group did just all easy, low intensity stuff, say 60, 65% of max heart rate. So legitimately low intensity. That's like the traditional approach. Uh, and then the other group, you know, they did the traditional thing. And then every seven to 10 days, they did a, a high intensity workout. So they they got after it. And the results were were 
pretty amazing. So this study was published in 2014 in the European Journal of Applied Physiology. And what happened is that the, the higher intensity group, just by, you know, once a week doing high intensity stuff and staying in touch with, you know, their lower intensity work also, uh, that they, they maintained all of their gains from the prior season. And they measured these gains via a 40K time trial. And uh, what happened was the high intensity group, they retained those gains. And at the end of the transition period, obviously, you know, they, unsurprisingly, they were able to do a 40K time trial faster, put out more power compared to the other group. But the bigger kicker was 16 weeks into the season. So we're talking about, you know, the last race of the season, then an eight week transition period, and then a 16 week preparatory period, everybody who did the high intensity stuff. So they trained harder in, in the off season, they performed better at the 40 K time trials, and they reached higher levels of fitness in season compared to the cyclists who, who didn't do that. Most of the cyclists who sort of slacked off during the transition period, they, at best, they reached their prior seasons sort of peak fitness. So that's an interesting study. So point being, it's important to, <laughs> to continue working, working out in the off season and continuing to do some higher intensity stuff. Cause a lot of people, they think they like to oversimplify the periodized training model and think, okay, it's the off season. It's all easy stuff. It's just volume. It's like, yes, that's the bread and butter still, but you need to stay in touch with the neuromuscular demands of, of high intensity stuff. There's evidence that doing a little bit of higher intensity work sets you up better for the season. Like we have data, this isn't an intuitive thing. Um, so that's a consideration. So point being during the off season, you know, like Derek said, discipline specific blocks are good. You want to stay in touch with all of the, the disciplines. And you also want to do intermittent high intensity work. That doesn't mean you're doing the same amount that you do in the main season, where in say you're having three high intensity workouts each week as a race approaches so that you build efficiency at race pace and, and really hone that high end fitness. It's more maintenance mode. We're sort of like training to train in the off season, but you know, it is essential that you take the off season seriously to set yourself up for success, uh, in, in the, the next year. Um, but, uh, I don't know if did, did somebody want to talk about maybe the concepts of strength training and technique focus during the off season? I'll touch a little bit on the technique focus. So like another thing too, I like to prescribe hill, hill repeats during the winter time um, or the base or off season, whatever you want to call it, um, because it's going to help you with speed, you know, max velocity, but it's also going to help with your run economy. And a lot of people may struggle with run economy. And if you can add these short bursts of efforts, you know, throughout the season or throughout the base period, um, that that's going to help you as you start to incorporate longer intervals and more volume. Uh, same thing with the swim as well. And the bike, you know, incorporating those small bursts of, of efforts going to help with, with your, the economy overall. For sure. Yeah. That neuromuscular stuff is, is good. It, it, the off season is really a good time to focus on things like strength and technique. And part of that is like, it relates to the neuromuscular sort of work that, that Derek was talking about and strength building work force, stuff like that. We want to equip the body so that, you know, biomechanically, you know, all the muscles are just even, and you can activate the muscles in the correct pattern 
And the off season is the time to work on technique, especially so strength and technique, which go hand in hand because tech part of technique is having the ability to move your body and your limbs in a stable way and the ability to function with stability that that's related to strength. Like if your muscles aren't firing in the correct pattern in a stable manner, uh, you're going to get injured and you're just not going to be as efficient. So the off season is when we want to, where since training stress and swim, bike run generally is overall lower in the off season, it's a good time to really focus on building strength. And, uh, so that, that includes power. Um, it includes just teaching your nervous system to activate more motor units, which is productive. Um, it's the time to do a lot of prehab stuff. And by that, I mean, you know, you want the body to heal, you want the inflammation to go down, but a lot of the prehab work is strengthening muscle imbalances. So, you know, I know all of the coaches here, we, we prescribe strength training and the off season is where we want to get more deliberate and there's more deliberate structure and sort of building the strength program, especially with compound movements, lifting heavy, starting lifting with higher reps, lower weight, doing good form. And then as the season, the off season progresses, you know, we really want to lower the reps, increase the weight so that, uh, you, you become a more powerful and more durable athlete. Um, so that that's important. And the other aspects, so there's strength and then there's technique. So now is the time to really dial in technique also, you know, that's in, in all the disciplines, but especially swimming. So an, an initiative we always have in the winter with a lot of athletes is, you know, we want them to do a film analysis. They need to know what their stroke looks like in the water. And then, um, we want to address form limiters. And I don't know if the, uh, if you all read the most recent weekly nugget email, but we kind of harness some of Andrew Huberman's wisdom when it comes to, uh, brain plasticity and how to actually practice deliberately in a focused manner so that you can actually learn new movement patterns. So we, we apply this brain plasticity concept, like, like, what do you do to, um, actually improve your, your swim stroke? It, it doesn't just happen. It requires relentless focus. You have to be engaged with your stroke. You have to repeat certain movement patterns over time. You have to rest in between them, uh, et cetera. But I encourage everybody to look on their, in their inbox, read that, uh, uh, that protocol in our, that weekly nugget email. Cause, cause it's important because to improve technique, you have to think about it. You can't just go through the motions and do swim drills or run drills. You have to think about what you're doing, why you're doing it. Then you have to apply it in your warmups, cool downs, and main sets. You have to think about it. And then eventually, um, if you're focused over time, you will, they'll become second nature and you'll ingrain these correct movement patterns. Um, but uh, does anybody have any any questions on anything so far or anything else to add? I will say, you know, doing drills in the pool can be pretty uncomfortable, especially if you're doing, you know, single arm drills and things like that. And, and that's where you have to be deliberate because it's easy just to to do it. But if you're not doing it correctly, 
you're going to still incorporate bad habits and that muscle memory is going to be ingrained in, into your system and you're not going to improve. So and like you mentioned before, it's really good to get the video analysis because then you can actually see what you're doing. A lot of people struggle with their, the feel for the water and they, they may think they're doing something in the water, but until they see it on video of what they're actually doing, uh, then they can actually incorporate what they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. It has to be deliberate. You have to be aware of where your body is in the water. And the other thing to remember, and, and one of the tenets of, of the brain plasticity protocol is to embrace errors. So it's challenging. Like if you're learning new chords on the guitar or something, or learning a song on the guitar, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fumble. And, but you know, if you fail a certain number of times, you need to fail a certain number of times. Otherwise you're not pushing your limit and aiming to improve. Um, I think there was some evidence I read somewhere that you want to fail 15% of the time <laughs> in practice. Uh, I'm not talking about like interval training for, for, or anything like that. I'm talking about technique sort of focused stuff when you're trying to build a new technical skill, st stuff like that. That's a pretty good fail rate. So embrace failing. It's okay. Just relax. Just, it's good that you're failing because you're engaged. Um, but get with your coach about improving technique for sure. Uh, and let's attack those, those form limiters this off season. Um, and then before we move on to sort of a discussion about nutrition in the off season, uh, I kind of, I wanted to loop back around cause a lot of athletes wonder about you know, the minimum effective maintenance dose for fitness. Uh, th there are a number of studies on this. So the question is, okay, you have your base training, like your average, say volume, weekly training load. So the question is, how little can I do while still retaining those gains? And, you know, the question itself is sort of one that I, I don't even want to engage with at a certain point, because it's like, you should want to keep getting better all the time. However, we have to be realistic and, and understand that there will be seasons of life where, you know, it is not appropriate to obsess about, you know, achieving a certain training volume. And maybe, you know, if, if there are a lot of stress, work stress, whatever, we just need to go into maintenance mode. And the answer is that, you know, you can actually maintain fitness with shockingly little overall load. So um, there was a, a review this, this year from uh, uh, a group that was published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research in, in May 2021. The title of the review was Maintaining Physical Performance, the Minimal Dose of Exercise Needed to Preserve Endurance and Strength Over Time. So they looked at, you know, endurance athletes, specifically uh, cyclists, and then they also looked at uh, another variable with strength, but we're just going to focus on the cyclists and the endurance side of things. And the review, it, it did a sort of a deep dive into, the, into research uh, from, from actually from the 80s. And what, what happened was they took in the study, uh, it was Hicks and, and colleagues, they, they took... Uh, untrained subjects who, you know, untrained in, in, in cycling, but, but generally physically fit and put them through a 10 week training program composed of six 40 minute sessions, uh, each week. And these sessions were 
included intervals at a very high intensity, 90 to hundred percent of max heart rate. So they're doing six really high intensity sessions. And over this 10 week period, everybody improved pretty dramatically. You know, they improved their, uh, fitness and, and the fitness that they looked at was, uh, basically VO2 max. So improvements in VO2 max, and then, uh, how long, you know, athletes can hold VO2 max and how long athletes could hold 80% of VO2 max. So that was like the, the benchmark of, of fitness. So, uh, what happened is they had these studies. So then you had all of these, this pool of, of athletes who trained 10 weeks had a certain level of fitness. And then the subjects were, were randomly assigned to groups where either frequency volume or intensity was reduced by either 33% or 66% for the next 15 weeks. And they looked at, uh, you know, who retained these fitness adapt adaptations. And, uh, so again, the two things they looked at was short-term endurance, which was time to exhaustion at workloads equal to hundred percent of VO2 max. Uh, so those tests typically lasted four to eight minutes. And the other variable they looked at was long-term endurance was, which was time to exhaustion at 80% of VO2 max. And those tests lasted one to three hours. Uh, so they were upset. So what happened was the one group, they lowered the frequency of the sessions. So they reduced the number of sessions from six workouts per week down to two or four sessions per week. And what happened is so long as intensity was maintained, athletes were able to, all of them were able to maintain their short-term endurance. So their VO2 max didn't decrease. Um, when it comes to long-term endurance, they actually didn't look at that, which was interesting, but they looked at it in the other manipulation. So we know that if you maintain, if, if you at least work out two to four sessions per week with this protocol, so we're talking about reducing training by over 50% frequency, you can maintain your VO2 max. And then the other variable they manipulated was they lowered the duration of each session. So they reduced it from 40 minutes to 26 minutes and for, or from 40 minutes to 13 minutes per session uh, for 15 weeks. And what happened was the uh, both groups maintained their short-term fitness. So their view to max stayed the same, but their long-term endurance, uh, what happened was the, the group that only reduced the duration of each session by 33%, they maintained all of their gains, but the group that reduced their intensity to, uh, or the duration by 66%, they lost some of the long-term endurance gains. Uh, so that, that was interesting. So, you know, frequency appeared to matter more than the volume of each session, basically. And then the last thing they looked at was intensity. And this was sort of the interesting, not shocking, but kind of shocking. So when athletes reduced their intensity, but uh, what happened was uh, when exercise intensity was reduced by 33%, so they reduced it from, uh, to, they reduced it from, you know, 90 to 100% of heart rate max down to 82 to 87% or they reduced it by 66%. So reduced the heart rate, average heart rate, you know, down to like 115 beats per minute for six, 15 weeks while maintaining the same number of sessions. Um, the, the group that reduced it by 33% did retain their short-term endurance, but lost their long-term endurance. And the group that lowered the, 
the intensity by 66%, they didn't maintain any gains. So this is further evidence that you got to maintain intensity in the off season, but it's possible, at least with this protocol to reduce frequency and volume by 50%, but still retain all of your gains. Um, you know, limitations to the study, you know, they were previously untrained subjects. Um, other studies sort of hint at, you know, you can reduce your volume probably by 20 to 40% for a 15 week period while maintaining intensity if you're a trained athlete and still maintain all of those gains. Um, anyway, that was a big description, but bottom line, you can reduce training in the off season. So long as you're consistent and you maintain intensity, you can reduce the overall volume and frequency of the sessions a little bit and still maintain those gains and be set up well for next season. Um, does anybody have any questions on, on anything so far? So if, if not, maybe looks we can like, do, oh, go ahead. looks like Charles, Charles has his hand up. Uh, <laughs> hey, cool. um, so I wanted, I had a question about, uh, you said, doing strength during um, the off season and increasing your load and, and actually lifting heavier. Um, is there a time, is there a period in which you lift for strength versus lifting to increase your power? Like you're, you're listening to strength and then sort of work into the, the plyometrics or whatever afterwards to, to get, take that strength and have it transfer to power? Or do you sort of work it all at the same time? So yes, and you know, I, I would say that the, the current prevailing wisdom is that you know in the off season now is the time to work on power, and just increase overall strength and sort of prime your nervous system and and you know so you're working on literally generating more more power, but that doesn't mean we want to abandon sort of the auxiliary stuff that you're talking about, maybe maybe you're alluding to when we're thinking about prehab or, um, you know, strength of like hit like joints and hip th things that prevent injury. So, you know, for most athletes, you know, at least one compound movement session, focusing on power now is wise. And then once the season comes, arrives and races, uh, approach, we, we kind of reverse things. So, so overall training load and strength training load, it needs to kind of work inversely. Um, you know, and there's evidence that if you keep trying to lift for, for power throughout an entire macro cycle, especially when you're training swim, bike, run at a high level that you sort of jeopardize swim, bike, run gains, just cause you're going to be exhausted all the time. And your muscles are just going to be in a constant state of trying to repair themselves. So, so basically now in the off season is the time to really focus on, on power and most right now, most coaches are viewing, like you're going to achieve good power gains in the off season. You're going to, we want to maintain those decently, but you're going to lose those throughout the main sort of triathlon season. And, and that's okay. That that's fine. That that's literally just how it works. This is how that's the approach of the best athletes in the world. The best strength coaches sort of understand that for endurance athletes, you can't constantly like be in improving your, your max, you know, one rep squat max, you know, while you're training, you know, big volume preparing for an Ironman and that's fine. But 
the strength gains that you have, they'll tend to linger and you can kind of maintain those and be, and, you know, have more, more strength and, and have a more connected nervous system throughout the triathlon season. But yeah, I would say the answer is, is now is the time to work on power and through sort of like the general prep phase. And then we, when the specific prep phase approaches, we kind of peel off the, the load. So, so super high, high weight, low rep workouts. We just do fewer of those as it approaches. There's not really a need, there's never a reason to do high rep work, even as endurance athletes, 20 years ago, endurance athletes were prescribed, you know, because you're an endurance athlete, your muscles, they, they, part of it is they fire many times over a race or, or whatever. Uh, so we want, uh, in strength training, sort of fatigue them with low weight. Now the prevailing wisdom is there's no point in doing that. If you're going to be in the gym, cause, cause every run you do, you're sort of training that or every cycling workout you do, it's just every pedal stroke is a, is a rep, <laughs> you know? So we don't need to train that. What we want to train is power and igniting the nervous system and building that, that high end power. Um, so if you're going to be lifting and doing compound stuff, then you want to be lifting heavy. Now for the stability and the auxiliary stuff that we're talking about, this prehab stuff where you're targeting smaller muscle groups, you know, like the glute bridges, the side leg raises, uh, the clamshells, things like that. I mean, that stuff is good to do year round as maintenance, just to make sure that those stabilizing muscles are, uh, are strong. Um, but so there's no reason not to do those all the time, even two weeks before a race. Does anybody else have any, uh, anything to add to that? I would maybe just add two quick things. Um, one is a general plug for a webinar that was facilitated back in June of 2022. So like four months back with Jeff Wilson um, and Charles, I can't remember if you were on that one or not, but um, there was a section that was talked about. Um, I just went back to look at a couple of my notes around like plyometrics and when to incorporate that from a power and strength perspective into training. And, you know, during the course of that conversation, it was very much like, you know, incorporate this when you can. There's not a place for this in every season. I think this time frame right now, this like base building, we can call it off season based on the title of today's webinar, um, I think would be the most appropriate place to sort of slot that in. And then the only other comment I would make very quickly um, as it relates to um, just from a recovery coach perspective here about like building some of those capabilities um, is just on the timing of, you know, focusing on strength training um, and that sort of build relative to some of the endurance training activities that are going on. And so the science very much tells us that we should prioritize in order if we're doing them back to back, the stimulus that we're most interested in actually prioritizing improvement within. And so if, you know, alongside a coach or, you know, alongside your own personal goals, if you identify like strength, power building, you know, rectifying any sort of muscle imbalances, this is like a very key focus of what I want to look at for the next, call it eight, four to eight weeks or something like that, while maintaining that minimum dose of endurance activity to, to maintain my current progress, VO2 max, et cetera, might recommend considering doing those strength exercises first so that the 
stimulus of that strength training is what's prioritized followed by the other thereafter. If you can separate them into two a days or by three hours, the order doesn't matter. Um, but would just offer that from some recent literature I read around um, the timing of strength versus cardio endurance and uh, what the latest findings there are. Yes, that was good. And that was a good question. And I just sent over in this, the meeting chat, the link to that, that webinar with Jeff Wilson, the strength coach. That was a good reminder. Um, yeah, he obviously knows his stuff. He's the uh, strength coach for the uh, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, uh, NCAA cross country team. So, uh, that was a good webinar, probably good to, to check out. Um, does anybody else have any, any questions on off season training or, or, you know, anything we talked about so far? Well, if not, maybe we can move over to the, uh, maybe nutrition discussion. I know that the off season is a lot of athletes, they, they want to know maybe the best time to work on improving body composition. And, and I know that the holidays sort of an interesting time when it comes to uh, gaining weight, just because of all the cookies and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> but Alex is, is on the webinar and knows um, her stuff. So Alex, feel free to uh, offer some, you know, principles that relate to, uh, you know, off-season nutrition and maybe improving body comp. Sure. Uh, so thanks for having me on, everybody. Um, so I think foundationally, one of the things that I, I talk through with uh, clients that I work with every day, um, and then I've also uh, had the opportunity to make mention of it in a couple of our our local camps here in Nashville. Um, is just that, you know, during, let's call it like, you know, peak A race prep season, not during off season, one of the challenging things that arises is that it, it, it is the case that maximizing fitness, um, you know, fitness development, at, at the very least experiencing fitness accrual that we all experience when we're in a training race mode, um, it is um, simultaneously very difficult to pursue fat loss if that is a goal that someone has um, as it relates to body recomposition because they're competing priorities. And in fact, it's incredibly risky in some cases to pursue a calorie deficit while we have high intensity, high load, high frequency training during, I'll call it a season, race season, during those, those key macro cycles because it, it just puts too much risk of uh, you know, injury, recovery losses, um, and also performance, um, performance mitigation. So not actually enabling us to put out as much power, um, or as much performance during a given session to then compromise the ability for improvements to be realized. And so during this, I'll call it off season is one of the key timeframes, um, where fat loss, body recomposition can really be um, looked at as a priority um, to position individuals particularly well to have advantage, um, you know, for their upcoming season ahead and to pursue that really safely. Um, I'll also make mention here that um, body recomp in that sense is not the only option that exists out there. And there are certainly a lot of individuals as well 
who get down to a, um, I'll call it unsustainable um, level of leanness for races where it actually behooves them during this off season to actually pack on a few additional pounds to make sure that they are maintaining their hormonal health and just generally supporting their body and being able to be resilient to injury um, and to be well-equipped for the next season. And so this time frame is a really important one to really focus on nutrition quality and also to build some of those habits that they can then carry forward to this next season. Um, I think a lot of us might joke, and I mean, I, I've done this myself, like, you know, you're in the depths of training during, you know, your key race prep season, and you think of all of these things that, oh, if only I had time for X, Y, Z, this is the time frame to find space and to hold space to build those habits and incorporate those practices into your schedule um, while you're naturally experiencing a little bit of a reduction in training volume and frequency, not intensity to the level that we all perhaps thought of before this webinar launched today. Thanks for those studies earlier, Conrad. Um, and so I think at, at the highest level, um, that is, you know, what I would offer is, you know, leveraging this time frame from a nutrition perspective to, you know, identify um, also what your, what your goals are as it relates to nutrition. And I think there was a great call to action uh, a couple of weeks back as, you know, quote unquote, off season commenced about setting goals for 2023. And I think in the same way that a lot of us might've been primed to set performance goals or specific race performance targets, um, in the same way, it's very helpful to actually set some sort of short-term goal um, that's time-strapped, that's measurable, um, either, you know, from now until the end of off-season, now until the end of the year, giving ourselves a little bit of runway so that we have something actionable that we can monitor, that we can measure, um, and to really gauge progress, to promote consistency, and to really help to instill a little bit more self-efficacy behind a lot of those potential changes that we might be interested in incorporating. Um, from a recovery perspective would also offer prioritizing sleep um, and to help mitigate some of the burnout that I think sometimes people can begin to start feeling toward the end of a season of um, very well-earned, well-deserved, but oftentimes like very involved work that they'd put in. I think also finding opportunities to incorporate a little bit of play and remind yourself like why the heck you enjoy the sport, you know, being able to go out and, and do stuff for fun. A turkey trot's a great example, I think, of that that a lot of us partook in um, this past week for Thanksgiving. Um, and then also uh, to, to the point others have made earlier on this webinar around um, incorporating different modalities that are ultimately supportive of helping us through our efforts over time. I think it, you know, cannot be understated, or I, I should say, cannot be overstated the benefit of working on things like mobility, flexibility. Um, so potentially incorporating a little bit more of a regular um, stretching practice, yoga practice, if that sounds exciting to you, um, breath work, meditation practice, um, as well as strength training, as was mentioned earlier. Um, and before I maybe open it up, because I'd love to um, solicit any questions so that, you know, the remaining time for this section and then for the, the rest of the webinar really does uh, hit on key questions folks on this call may have. Um, I did want to dive into this um, 
perception that sometimes I hear about from clients around body recomposition and, uh, you know, if you're able to actually lose fat and gain muscle at the same time, which is a common question that I get from athletes that I work with, where, you know, that's the sort of like baseline definition of body recomp here, right, is, is making sure that we're building those supportive, you know, skeletal, musculoskeletal base muscles. Um, and then also on top of that, um, helping to reduce our um, adipose tissue levels to a level that supports us in maximum fitness and performance. Um, and I, you know, despite the zeitgeist that's out there that these two things cannot be accomplished simultaneously, there's actually been a ton of research, chronic randomized control trials that have been um, conducted um, you know, across a variety of individuals, resistance trained, non-resistance trained, um, sort of a, across the gamut there that have demonstrated that, you know, this body recomposition is certainly possible. Um, the, the impacts are actually potentiated to a greater degree when you combine nutrition strategy, specifically ensuring sufficient dietary protein intake. And I think I've shared this on prior calls, but that 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight is a very good target um, as endurance athletes for us to focus on both you know, during season and also during off season, particularly if you're incorporating strength training, even moving to the higher part of that threshold for strength training um, and incorporating both of those together. Um, but all to say it is not, uh, it is not an impossible journey to sort of pursue both of those in tandem. And I think that for a lot of athletes that I'm working with individually, you know, with one-on-one, -on -one, um, as well as questions that I've sort of gotten from, from some athletes during, um, you know, camps and other conversations that we've had. Uh, I think that this is a, a great time frame and opportunity to pursue both of those um, and, and not feeling like uh, they are, you know, particularly dichotomous or not able to be pursued simultaneously. So I'll pause though. Um, I would love to solicit any feedback others may have from the call or um, you know, Conrad, Derek, others on the, on the call from a coaching perspective of questions that are top of mind for you that, um, you've received from athletes either on the call or, you know, through conversations to date as it relates to nutrition. Yeah, I guess I'll start with the question. I get this a lot and, you know, we, we know this is a challenging time of year when it comes to the holidays and parties and, you know, cookies and, and additional eggnog and alcohol and things like that. But, if someone's targeting to, you know, try to improve their body comp or, or lose weight, what, is there a protocol of like what they should be trying to cut back every week or, you know, that way they're not doing any, anything that's going to be dangerous? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so one, one thing that I would call out to is I, I think that sometimes this mentality of creating a lot of rules and guidelines as it relates to like a holiday party here and there, even for Thanksgiving can actually be a little bit of a vicious cycle where if we're not actually able to indulge in that one or two days a year of like cultural traditions, family traditions, um, these traditions that in some ways are like have been designed around like food and celebratory things like that. I, I think that it's one or two days a year and being able to actually sit with and enjoy those occasions without this mindset of restriction um, is actually the most helpful way to sort of approach these things. Now, certainly, um, you know, I would 
um, say moderation is key regardless. Um, however, I think that uh, approaching all of these events with a mentality that it is one day a year, and then really making sure our dietary pattern is sort of supportive of our efforts every other day is going to set people most up for success as opposed to being at the holiday party, not eating a single cookie, viewing it as like this huge win of willpower, and then potentially, you know, being motivated to, to binge eat or not, you know, potentially moderately follow a dietary pattern they're accustomed to for the days following. And then also having to enjoy like the not fresh cookie experience because they <laughs> for, it was foregone a couple of days prior. Um, so that's one comment I would make. I would also say to your question about like the, the, the healthful sort of approach to targeting, you know, fat loss or weight loss, if that's sort of a goal, we definitely want to make sure that we are sticking at the highest level of the threshold that we can within a deficit. Um, and part of this is because it promotes consistency, you know, uh, targeting like, oh, I'm going to reduce by 250, I'm just throwing out a number here, 250 calories a day to support like half a pound to one pound loss per week. And having that be sufficiently incremental down that you're actually able to do that within the context of your life, within the context of the level of activity that you're used to that is going to be much more sustainable for people to stick to and to be able to see long-term results as opposed to a steeper cut that potentially could get you to a lower weight more quickly, though would likely really challenge people to stay consistent, compromise their ability to in enjoy like their lives and to really weave it into their daily living pattern. Um, and also potentially compromising recovery, because we do know that low energy availability, protein intake sufficiency is so important within the context of our lives as active individuals to really support all of that. Um, so, so, you know, I think a lot of this is like highly individual. It also depends on your starting point. If you are at a higher body fat percentage, you can stand to quote unquote, cut a little bit deeper. Um, because you have a little bit more to, to sort of work through and can sort of potentially also feel some motivation from a faster loss period or a deficit at the very beginning. Um, but for the most part, my typical recommendation is to approach it a little bit more slow and steady, though I'll caveat that this is the one time frame within the context of a quote unquote training season where cutting deeper is safer because our training load and volume is naturally decreased. So for those that are endeavoring to, to potentially follow a steeper cut, this is the time to do that. Good stuff. Does anybody have any, any questions on nutrition uh, or anything else so far? Nope. So does that mean just enjoy the cookies at the holiday party? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm, I'm saying find your favorite cookie at the party and really enjoy it. And like, you know, don't, you know, throw on a Netflix seasonal Hallmark film and like not enjoy it mindfully. But like, yes, I, I am a huge advocate for like enjoying the slice of pie that you love and then not having it sort of rule and take over this you know, high pedestal position. Like we don't need to attribute morality to these foods, enjoy them and then set them aside for the next holiday. 
So yes, Charles. And I, you know, I actually, anyone who would like to send me a quick photo of, you know, a particular cookie or holiday treat they're enjoying, I could take some inspiration for future traditions maybe of items to incorporate. So. All right. We have the permission. Hey, Josh, looks like you have a question. Um, this might be a stupid question, but how many, how many, um, pounds should we not gain over off season? <laughs> Is it okay to gain like a few or do you not want to like, you know, go for five, you know, do you have any, um, advice on that? Thanks. Uh, I think, uh, thanks Josh for the question. I mean, I think it is, again, it's also individual dependent and there are definitely individuals where I actually would recommend a little bit of weight gain during off season based upon their body fat percentage during their sort of like peak a race season. What I would say is, you know, enjoy yourself within reason. Um, but also recognize that, you know, the, the potential weight gain that occurs during this off season just puts you at a different starting point for your goals for next season. And so if we want to think about how to make sure that you're best equipped to tackle the huge goals that I know everyone on this call has for next year. Um, you know, the enjoyment that we have now want to make sure that we're assessing, you know, how worth it that is to us at this point in time. I think generally a difference in like five, again, it depends on starting point here, but a difference of like five pounds, most of that you'll likely see sort of organically fall off once you ramp up your training during a race season anyway. So I don't think that that is of particular concern though. If last season you were always talking to your coach about and Josh, this isn't you specifically. Um, but, um, if there was an individual who was often talking to their coach, belaboring that they had, you know, quote unquote, five to 10 pounds that they wanted to get down to reach their quote unquote race weight. I don't know that stacking the deck and increasing yourself, you know, a material number of pounds at this point during off season sets you up particularly well for next season. So again, I think hugely individually dependent. I know that's like not a great answer, right? It's like, it depends, but I would say, um, think about your future self and, you know, uh, you know, whether, whether your future self will, will thank you for that. And the, the very real answer might be that they love those, uh, you know, enjoyment of, of a few extra pounds during off season, because it means it was well enjoyed. Um, and then you're ready to tap back into it for, for next race, uh, schedule. Great. Thanks. I'll stay away from Marshall and Huber and their cookie fight. <laughs> <laughs> no Oreos. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And just putting some numbers to it, just from uh, sort of anecdotes that I've heard in the past, I know that over the last few years, for some reason, Chris McCormick has come up a lot. He's He likes to uh, talk about this concept, which is gaining weight in the off season. And one one thing that he attributes to sort of enabling him to reach the next level in, in Ironman was actually uh, gaining a little bit more. So he, he focused on, once he focused on actually gaining or allowing himself to gain, you know, 7%, seven to 8%, uh, of his body weight in the, in the winter, he was better. He was a better performer at, at Ironman's specifically, you know, in his ITU days, you know, I think he would race, you know, fairly light, sort of like low, low in sixties. And then he realized that for Ironman, that, that was not a good thing. Uh, he, he, he would race closer to like 171 pounds. 
Um, obviously light, a lot of us are, are, you know, heavier than, than that, but, you know, he, he's an example of somebody who, you know, when we think about athletes, especially at the pointy end, they, they obsess about being light. They think lighter is better. Um, and that, you know, to a point for running, I mean, yes, it, it's Watts to kilos, but you can't maintain your optimal racing weight for a long period of time. So, you know, certainly pro triathletes and other high level athletes who reach a low body fat percentage, you know, whatever, 10%, 9%, that's really low. And you can't maintain that. You need to gain a little bit, you know, and, and in the off season, it's good to gain a little bit, potentially focus on, you know, focus on that strength work. Your body will be able to recover better. Uh, you, you, if you're at a super low body fat percentage, it, it is the case that you might compromise recovery a little bit. So you, it's okay to gain a little bit. And then, you know, over time, over the season, you'll sort of naturally lose it. But, you know, when you lose it and hit race weight, you have a window of time to maximize performance. You know, if we're looking at eking out every possible mote of gain, uh, but then you want, especially in the off season, when you think about it from a long-term health perspective, it's okay to gain gain a little bit. And again, his number was seven to 8%, which is, you know, call it 10, 11 pounds. That's probably okay. More than that. Yeah. It's going to be tough to, to lose it in time, assuming that it's unneeded weight. Should we move on to motivation and overcoming winter woes? Let's do it. I guess I'll kick it off. Um, you know, the winter time, obviously the, the daylight is less, you know, the days are shorter and, you know, motivation can, can lack a little bit, but, you know, we're huge advocates for, you know, group sessions and, um, you know, finding obviously in Nashville and in Cleveland, we have these, these sessions available to athletes and people can connect and look forward to something. But if you're somewhere remote, even just finding a training partner can be pretty valuable. Um, it holds you accountable and it's just going to make it more enjoyable too. You know, if it's midweek and you are, are lacking motivation, it gives you something to look forward to on the next day. Um, you know, in the wintertime, especially if you live somewhere where the snow falls, finding other activities that might switch it up a little bit, you know, cross-country skiing would obviously be another cardio exercise, but even like downhill skiing could be a great activity. Uh, it's not going to be a huge tax on the cardio system, but you know, you you could develop, you know, your, your quads and muscles in the lower legs to, you know, carving down the mountains. Um, you know, we, we talked earlier about, you know, working on opportunities, you know, if it's a swim opportunity, you want to work on that. But if you find yourself in a position where you are just really in a funk, you know, do what you love. If if it's cycling or, or running or swimming or whatever it may be, and it's going to enable you to do something, uh, doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing. So if you find yourself in, in a position where you don't want to do a certain workout or you just, you're lacking the motivation, just go back to what you love the most, because that's going to be pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. I'll pause right there. Any questions or anything else you guys want to say? So the other thing too, is optimizing your training, like your indoor setup. And I'll also say is 
make sure you can minimize any type of negotiations in the morning. So having your stuff set up in the morning or set it up in the evening, the night before, that way you're ready when you wake up. Uh, there's been times where I'm sure everyone can relate to this. If they're going out for a bike ride or you're going out for a run and you're fumbling around looking for your watch or your heart rate monitor or trying to get your bike set up in 10, 20, 50, you know, 30 minutes goes by and you, you lose that opportunity to train, uh, then you just throw in the, the towel at that point. So if you ha- make sure everything's optimized, you know, your, your indoor trainer set up or, you know, you have everything set up before that's going to enable you to ensure you're, you're going to execute that workout the next day too. Um, I know you put in here, we talked about a little bit of overcoming seasonal affective disorder, and there's a lot of things to this, you know, in the winter time, we produce more melatonin, you know, it's, you know, it's a real thing where people have the, you know, there's, there's just less light and, and less vitamin D that we're that we don't have. So there's, there is things we can do to overcome it. Um, obviously taking supplements would be one thing, but, you know, trying to get as much sunlight as possible is going to be valuable. And that's not always going to be the case, you know, in certain areas of the country, it might be overcast and, but if you can get outside and be exposed to daylight, that's going to be helpful, but there's also like lights you can buy and getting exposures to those lights will help as well. Yeah, that, that's a big one. I mean, when you think about seasonal affective disorder, everything sort of becomes gray and uh, we might not be as as vibrant and our well-being can sort of plummet. And unfortunately, it can be a sort of a vicious cycle where that in, it sort of demotivates you to work out, whereas simply working out might help you overcome the seasonal affective disorder. And like we were alluding to earlier, like if, if necessary, like if you are feeling burnt out and lacking motivation, you know, sometimes you have to hack it. You can't, everybody can't tap into their inner David Goggins and execute the plan as prescribed. So the question is, okay, well, how do we scale it and how do we uh, foster sustainable consistency again? And like, like Derek said, you know, switching it up, exploring other activities, just doing what you like to do, your favorite discipline, you know, maybe we always talk about doing a swim block, but if you hate swimming and it's killing you that you're not, you keep skipping the sessions. It's like, just relax, embrace the other uh, opportunities to to run and bike or or whatever. Um, So all of that, all of that matters. But, you know, the light thing I think is, uh, there's been more chatter about how important light is specifically sunlight to setting your your circadian rhythm and just for you know there's that vitamin d concept it's how your body you know sunlight sort of incites vitamin d production so it is clear that you know there are a handful of supplements that are actually productive to take you know things like i think fish oil it's pretty well backed vitamin d is one that is is worthwhile and i think vitamin d3 is is what you want ideally in like the the liquid or oil form so like a little uh capsule rather than a tablet or something you like squeeze into your drink. That's the most effective in in the studies. Um, So all of that is, is important light exposure. And then the other thing that we should talk about is the nutrition side of things, things like alcohol consumption. I know that for most athletes who I work with, and even for myself, alcohol consumption does go up in the winter just a little bit, because you're just 
with family. Maybe we need alcohol to get through hanging out with your family. <laughs> but, uh, it, it is the case that, you know, you're just you know, hanging out at, at night, it gets darker sooner. Maybe we're bored. So it's like, oh, I'll have a glass of wine or have an extra glass of wine or whatever. And, uh, but we want it, we need to be careful with that because, you know, it's still a depressant and it can easily get out of hand and, you know, contributing to maybe the seasonal woes could be, you know, that or, uh, you know, additional unneeded weight gain that we then stress over all, all of that stuff. So, uh, alcohol consumption is something to look at and then just prioritizing nutrition and sleep, basically everything Alex talked about. That's all of that is huge. Um, if I could chime in with two quick things, one on supplements, uh, there is some recent research that just came out that was highlighting how, how important it is to make sure that supplements that we're purchasing are third party tested. So uh, it can be really great to look at um, public websites like lab door and um, informed sport um, to make sure that the uh, supplements we're purchasing vitamin D was one that's mentioned omega three supplements, both of which I'm a huge proponent of. And I think especially in the wintertime vitamin D is huge, uh, to combat seasonal effective, but also to promote calcium absorption in our bodies because vitamin D sort of like a necessary accompaniment to that, to make sure that's occurring within our bodies, which is so great to make sure bone health and all of those wonderful things that we need um, actually more than even the average person as athletes. So would just make one quick, uh, recommendation there. Um, especially if people are, uh, seeking new supplements, uh, addition into their regimen to just be extra cautious because, um, these are not regulated, uh, as, as highly as other foods that are on the market. And we want to make sure that the dose that we're receiving is actually, um, <laughs> you know, able to be absorbed within our bodies and not at a level that is dangerous or not helping us. And then the only other thing on alcohol, Conrad, everything you said, absolutely true. Um, I also would say uh, one of the, the big detriments of alcohol as well as it relates to recovery is um, impacts on sleep. Um, we might have, or a lot of people may have an impression that, you know, alcohol actually helps us to sleep better um, because perhaps we get a little bit tired after we take some in. Um, and in fact, it does have a sedative effect, but it actually fragments your sleep incredibly um, and is incredibly not helpful as it relates to promoting deep REM sleep, which is what we really need to promote recovery and, and feel ultimately well-rested. Um, and so to the extent that we're able to moderate how much fun we have with alcohol on the holidays or, you know, swap one out with an athletic brewing company beer or something now and again, uh, would definitely, uh, you know, advocate for that, uh, just to, to make sure that we're not compromising recovery efforts. That's all. No, that's a good point. And I think we can all can relate to an experience we've had if we had one or two beers and the quality of sleep goes out the window and that, that can affect the next day quite a bit. You know, you might, try to sleep a little bit longer, miss your workout. And then the cycle continues. For sure. And, uh, I, I think one, one last thing that we should cover, uh, as we're kind of running out of time is one last piece when it comes to motivation is having more near-term performance goals, even though our a races are important, you know, triathlon races or, or major, whatever marathons we're targeting. Uh, maybe it won't be until the spring when we do those, but it's good to have near-term 
performance goals. So, you know, that's that's one reason why, you know, we have this, uh, you know, check your weekly nugget emails, but we're doing this, this 5k time trial at the air park, um, you know, or remotely if you're not in Nashville, uh, but running races are a good sort of carrot, to, uh, uh, used to incentivize you to, to train and to, to get excited about something, or maybe, you know, you're looking to boost your FTP over the, the winter and maybe you're focusing on field tests. So like FTP tests or run tests, solo time trials, just something on the calendar that keeps you engaged, even though, you know, when we think about the important races, they're, they're months away and it's, it's tough to, you know, justify to ourselves that the workout we're doing right now or today is going to pay off four months from now, you know, when we toe the line at, you know, wh whatever Irving multi-sport nationals or 70.3 Chattanooga. Um, so put something on your calendar, talk to your coach. If you want to, uh, uh get creative, you know, we could do Zwift races, uh, and, and other sort of virtual events or, or team time trials, stuff like that. And there are indoor triathlons out there. Um, they're becoming more common, honestly. Like I was looking at tryfind.com and there are a bunch all around the uh, the country. And it, it seems like they're growing in popularity because I think they're pretty easy to pull off and uh, people are, are realizing that, race directors are realizing that. So consider that too. Um, but uh yeah so you, you always want a carrot and you always want to just remind yourself why you're you're doing this uh why are you training you know the health benefits but also you know the performance benefits self-mastery is a big one i always like to allude to um so all of these are are, are things to to harness to foster consistency in the off season which is important if you want to nail your 2023 goals yeah, absolutely. Well, one last thing I'll mention too is, you know, in the wintertime, there's a lot more swim meets as well. And we as triathletes don't always have the opportunity to jump off blocks, but this could be an awesome time to set a PR in the 50 yard sprint or hundred yard in something that's a lot more fun. And if you've never been to a swim meet before, you know, find a master's group near you and join one because it, it's a blast. Definitely. And it'll just so happen that will improve your, uh, triathlon times as well because you'll train like a swimmer and you'll uh be better for it so does anybody have any questions or sort of last minute thoughts or anything they want to talk about cool well thanks for hopping on everybody um we will announce our next webinar soon i know we do have that uh sort of a, our book club uh meeting coming up check your weekly nugget email for for the timing there uh and we will uh reconvene soon but thanks thanks for coming out and don't hesitate to reach out to uh, your coach or, or anybody else or even you utilize slack as well to keep the conversation going but, uh, thanks and we'll connect soon Thanks for joining us for this special episode. If you want to join us for future webinars, you can head over to our website at workingtriathlete.com and check out our different tiers. We have tier one, which is our one-on-one -on -one coaching, all the way to tier four, which is our club membership. And that gives you access to our webinars, but it also gives you access to our team events, um, camps, and also group sessions if we're in the area that you live. Um, we hope to have you join us in 2023. We're looking forward to having one of the best seasons yet. Um, if you have any questions, reach out 
at info at